before I begin, I want to say thank you, um, uh, first of all, for welcoming, welcoming myself and, and uh, Tiffany and, and the boys as well. We've been coming along to this, um, uh, to this church for the last few months now, and um, it's been really lovely. Thank you so much for welcoming us, um, and we do intend to continue to fellowship with you all here um, as the Lord wills. Um, as you, many of you know, I, I'm not always here every weekend because of work and so forth, but um, uh, Lord willing, we hope to be here quite regularly as, as possible. Um, tonight, I want to I share two, two things. Um, I guess I want to tell you how I got saved, my testimony. Uh, but before that, uh, there's one thing that I wanted to, to, um, to bring about, and that's really a question, and we're answer, answering a question that sort of comes up, which relates again to... Um, uh, me as a Christian, and, and that is, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And I'm going to, if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2, and it's just a passage, one verse, really, in Galatians chapter 2, um, of which I'll speak about, uh, but we'll turn to a few other uh, scriptures as well. What is a Christian? You know, if someone asked you this question, what would you, what would you say? What would you say to them? Um, some people would say, well, I, I go to a church, um, and I've been going to a church for a long, long time. I grew up in a church. Probably makes me a Christian. Other people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be like, like Jesus. I want to be nice to other people. Um, I think I'm a good person. And I don't follow after... Um, some of the other people, other religions in the world. I don't follow after Islam or Buddha or any of these other religions in the world. So, you know, I believe that, I believe that there is a God, so therefore, I'm a Christian, aren't I? Well, I want to turn to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and this is written by probably one of the most famous and well-known Christians that ever lived uh, by the name of Paul. And this is what he actually says about himself uh, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want you to note that in, in that particular verse that we've just read, there's only really two people here. There's me, or I, and then there's the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, you and the Lord Jesus. And really, that's ultimately what it boils down, boils down to, a relationship between you and the Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. And really, tonight, I want to ask, I guess, each and every one of us, What's your relationship with him? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? Do you know him as the son of God? How is your relationship with this particular person? What did Paul mean, first of all, here in this verse, when he said, I am crucified with Christ? You know, when we talk about crucifixion, we, th we think about a person hanging up upon a cross. Um, and we know that Paul, in the Bible... He didn't get crucified. He wasn't there on a cross hanging next to the Lord Jesus. There were two criminals next to, um, to, the, to Jesus when he was crucified. But ultimately, crucifixion means that you're dead. You're dead. If you've 
ever seen a dead person, a dead body, um, you'll know that they can't speak. They can't move, they can't act, they can't do anything. And um, throughout, the, throughout my time at the hospital, you know, I've seen quite a few people that have come in alive, but then they've collapsed and then they've ultimately died. I remember uh, one person who pretty much walked into triage, they walked into the front of the hospital and there, right before me, they just collapsed. They fell to the ground, we had to then move him to, uh, to one of the resource cubicles. And he was only young, he was probably only in his 40s. Uh, came in there with his wife, he'd had a bit of chest pain. And for about an hour and a half, two hours, we tried to work on him, tried to um, get, it, get, some, uh, get his heart going, get his breathing going. But that man passed on into eternity. I don't know whether he was a, a Christian or not. But there, he was lifeless. He, had, he could not do anything. He was lifeless. He had no power to lift up his hand. He had no power in him to breathe, take that breath. He had no power even to commit sin. So when Jesus died on the cross and when he paid the full price of sin, when, he, when we read in the Bible that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that, he, that the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, when he died for our sins, you know, he did much more than that. When it talks about crucifixion, he did much more than just that. And I'm going to turn to a couple of verses. You don't have to turn in the Bible uh, with me. But in Romans 6 and verse 6, it says there that knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that is the Lord Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed and that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. That's what it, exactly what it means. The very power for someone to sin, the ability to do something, to be dead means that you can't do it. There's no power, there's no capability whatsoever for you to do it. And later on, Paul talks about that sin in verse 14, chapter 6 of Romans, sin shall have no dominion over you. There's no power to control us. And so therefore, the Christian, when Paul is writing here and says, I'm crucified with Christ, just as Christ died there upon the cross for our sins... He's also saying here that we've been delivered from the very power of sin itself. He died for my sins so that I could also be dead to sin and the very power of it. Therefore, there's no burden, there's no more dominion, there's no control over us from our sins. And again, really the question here is for each one of us, maybe you're here for the first time tonight, maybe you've pondered this before, are you truly free from your burden that burden of sin. And can you identify with Paul here and saying, I'm crucified with Christ? He goes on to say in verse 20, he says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ, he lives in me. And that's really interesting here. Paul, first of all, says he's dead, but now he says that I'm alive, dead, but alive. You know, it doesn't just say that Christ died for our sins and then that's really it. We read in the Bible that he was buried and then three days later, he rose again, according to the Scriptures. In fact, he, there's so much evidence now, there's so much evidence um, in the Bible, and you can go back and read through the book of 1 Corinthians, particularly in chapter 15, and we read even there that there were about 500 people 
that witnessed and saw that Jesus was alive. They physically saw him and heard him, that he was alive. And many others throughout the Bible that we read of testimonies time and time again of people, um, that people knew and saw that Jesus, in fact, was alive. But what's really interesting is that Paul can write and say here to prove that a Christian has a risen saviour, has a risen and a reason to be alive, a risen saviour and a Lord. Um, We sung one of these hymns by um, a man by the name of Charles Wesley. Well, he had a brother um, by the name of John, John Wesley as well, and um, both of them were quite famous Christians in the 18th century. And John Wesley actually wrote, or I think was, wrote a, a book or wrote an abridged version of this book called Um, when he talks about a Christian, he's actually talking and and he makes this comment about what a Christian is and it's the life of God in the souls of men. It's actually a title of a book. Um, But that's what John Wesley said. A Christian is a person who has the life of God within them. God imparts himself and indwells within man. Later on in the book of Romans, again, a letter that Paul wrote... Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Paul writes, If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells within you. So what's Paul saying here? Again, Paul's writing all these things. Um, because he's, he, in fact, know and, and, and saw the Lord Jesus himself as an experienced person who witnessed the life and witnessed Jesus being alive, he could write and say these words in Romans chapter 8. But what he's saying is that the life of God dwells within each person that comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. First of all, they must be put to death. And Christ can only live within us until we're dead to sin. The same person that raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead, as it says here in Romans 8, is that Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Such that now, as we've been doing here this evening and and even this morning, we've been able to pray, we've been able to sing these hymns, we're able to read the Bible and it comes alive to us because we have the Holy Spirit within us that leads us into truth and even leads us away from sin itself. But it also, I guess, makes us think how we should be living our lives in these mortal bodies as well. Jumping around, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, again, another letter that Paul wrote. He says in chapter 6, verse 19, you don't have to turn to it, but he says there that, don't you know, in fact, that in your bodies that your, t- your bodies are in fact a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is within you. And if every Christian has this Holy Spirit as a temple, how indeed should we be living holy lives? God is holy and dwells within each Christian. How pure and holy should our lives must be, such that we should be living apart from sin as well as evil? The next verse in verse 20 also says there, therefore, we are to glorify God within our bodies because we're owned by him. 
glorifying God in our bodies and in our spirit because we are owned by God Himself. This is the reason why Christ dwells within us, so that we might be able to glorify God, we might be able to sing His praises, that we may live no longer for ourselves, selfishly, but knowing that He dwells within us so that we might glorify and do what pleases Him. Which leads us to the next part. Paul writes in Galatians 2 and 20, No longer do I live, but the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God. You know, despite being crucified with Christ and now the Holy Spirit dwelling within a believer, within a Christian, within this physical body, you know, while we're living here, we're to be living lives of faith, faith in the Son of God. And, you know, there's nothing more, nothing more that pleases God than faith. There was a man in the Old Testament, and we read about him in the book of Hebrews later on in chapter 11, a man by the name of Enoch. And the interesting thing about this man is that he didn't die. He didn't die. We read in uh, in Hebrews what actually happened in Hebrews 11 verse 5. He was translated from earth into heaven itself, into glory. And, you know, there was only one other thing that we read about Enoch in the, in the Bible that was really interesting. In that, in that passage, in that verse, it says there that he pleased God. He pleased God. We don't read much else about Enoch, what he had for breakfast, how he lived, who he married and so forth. He was, uh, we read about who his kids were. But not also a lot about what he did. But one thing that he did was that he pleased God. How did he please God? How did he not go through death? Well, the answer is in the next verse, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says there, without faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, or intelligently seek him. And Enoch knew exactly did this. He did exactly that. He believed God by faith. He sought God every single day, I'm sure, as he lived. And even in Genesis, we read that he walked with God and his very reward was such that he didn't die. He pleased God, he didn't die and he was translated from this earth into heaven itself. You know, there was another man that we read in the Bible that walked with God. There was another man that walked with God and he pleased God in everything that he did but the only difference between him and and Enoch was that he experienced death The Bible says he tasted death for every man. And that man, again, was the Lord Jesus himself, the Son of God. And it's by his example that, as Christians, we follow him in order to please God himself. By reading his word, the Bible, we find out what pleases God, knowing his will, what his instructions are that guide us each by day by day and knowing his ways, such that the life of faith is such that one, as we live day by day, we believe God, we obey God, and we do what He says. And that's the mark of really every Christian. And really a question, I guess, for each of us to think about how are we living that life of faith day by day. And finally, the last reference here, the last sort of uh, phrase in that verse, Galatians chapter 2 and 20, 
A Christian is one who can say, he loved me and gave himself for me. You know, it's one thing to recognise that Jesus loves us unconditionally and to know that he gave him his life for us. You know, to say that God loved me, and we sing that, you know, in some of the Sunday school songs, in some of the choruses, how God could ever love me, how he could give himself for me, how he could possibly give his life for sinful men. But, you know, if it wasn't for God being a God of love, it would have been completely impossible. How did God ultimately demonstrate his love? You know, a few weeks ago, um, some of the kids here were going to uh, uh, a super club over at Salisbury and they had to remember this one verse and I was asking Ethan, um, my son, this, this morning whether he remembered this verse. Can you still remember it, boys? What, what's, what's the verse that you had to remember? This is love. Fantastic. First John 4 and 10. Excellent. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the price paying or the propitiation, big word, but it's the price paying sacrifice for our sins. Exactly. This is love. And God commended his love. God demonstrated his love when he sent his son to be that propitiation, that even though while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us upon the cross there. And he dealt with us righteously there, there upon the cross. And I guess the response there is, once we know and we realise that God loved us and sent his son, can we then say, we love him? We love him, just as Paul could say here. He loved us, he loved me and gave himself for me. But you know, for the Christian, it actually even goes even further. Not just we love God, we love Him because He first loved us. In the book of John, in, sorry, in First John chapter 4, another Christian, John the Apostle, when he wrote these words, First John 4, later on in that same chapter of verse 10, verse 20, it says, If a man say, I love God, but hates his brother, He's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So a Christian, surely, surely he loves God, but how can he say these things? How he, he must, he must, because if he loves God, he must love his brother. He must love other Christians as well. And as we gather here as a called out group of people of Christians, it's almost like, it's, and it is, it's a family of believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, as a family together in love. That's really what Paul is, um, John is writing here in First John. A group of believers gathered together to love each other just as God loved us. But you know what? It even goes further still. And these are words of Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 5. Not only does a Christian love God because of what God has lo- done for them, not only does he love other Christians... But this is really the challenge in Matthew 5 and 44, as the Lord Jesus was speaking to a huge number of people there by the hillside um, near the Sea of Galilee. And he said these words in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. You know, that's a real challenge. How a Christian can therefore love his enemies, those that hate him or her. 
those that dis- perhaps despitefully use us and say all numerous things about us in persecution. You know, it's, it's hard to believe, but a Christian can do those things and is told to do those things because the love of God within us dwells within us and more and more as we realise how much God loves us, we begin to love one another and love even our enemies. The Lord Jesus, when we look at and see his life and we see what he did on the cross and we contemplate and look to him, you know, we see the love of God and it's beyond human comprehensions, it's beyond anything that the world can offer in terms of love, a love that can only come from God and not, and not man, a love for sinful mankind. And Christ died not just for everyone, but he died for his enemies themselves as well. Those that crucified him, those that persecuted and reviled him, he died for the ungodly. Now, the Christian has that same love. It's just hard to believe and hard to comprehend almost that God would give us that love, that he demonstrated that love such that we would love others, love God, love others, love other Christians, but even love our enemies. So, what is really a Christian? A Christian is he's not just going to, coming along to a church, not just following a religion, and shortly I'll tell you how I got saved and how I became a Christian, but it's not even just being born into a Christian family and knowing that uh, we've got Christian parents. It's someone here, as, Gal- as Paul is writing in Galatians, someone who truly knows what it means to be dead to sin, crucified with Christ, freed from the power of sin, but now made alive and having a life through the Holy Spirit of God, with Him dwelling within us, living a life of faith day by day, trusting in Him, pleasing Him in what He says and does. And finally, one who truly loves God, loves other believers, other Christians, and even loves their enemies. It's you and and Christ, really. Ultimately, it's a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hope that you might know Him as Lord and Saviour. Now, how did, how did I become a Christian? How did I come to know all these things? Before I begin, I want you to remember and think about the story of uh, Noah and the ark. And you remember when Noah, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 5 and 6, where you read of it, God had promised Noah that he would destroy the earth, that there would be a flood, and he called the animals to Noah just after the boat had obviously been built. And there were some animals that had come through the air. There were the birds that had flown through, into the, um, through the air. There were some fast animals, perhaps. There was like lions, there were cheetahs, leopards, fast animals that had come. There were probably slow animals as well, turtles and um, other, other creatures that were crawling on the earth. But, you know, the, different, the, the main thing that was common for all of them was that they had to get through one door. It didn't matter where they'd come from. It didn't matter how slow or fast their pace was. They had to come through that one door. And tonight, I'm just going to share how I got saved, but it's more of a fact that each one of us, we come from different backgrounds. And looking here, there's so many different people in this room from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ages. We have to come through to one door. We have to get through one door, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I was born in a, uh, 
some people would say, into a Christian home, into a Christian family. As many of you perhaps have been born into Christian homes, maybe some of you haven't. And as I began, even as I was talking about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? A lot of people these days think, well, you know, if we're born into a Christian home, if we've got Christian parents, if we've got Christian influences, well, then probably that makes me a Christian. And as we've seen through Galatians, that's not really the case at all. In fact, the Bible says that each one of us that are born into this world is born into sin. And David penned these words in Psalm 51, being born in sin and shapen or conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity. And each one of us who are born has come into this world, we're born into this body which is full of sin, whether we like it or not. Growing up, we used to go to a Sunday school, um, similar to, you know, what, was, what's, uh, what happens here in, in, on a Sunday morning, a Sunday school where the Bible is taught, where stories are heard, where the, where the scriptures are open. And, you know, there are some things from way, way back when I was a kid that I still clearly remember purely because of Sunday school. And I can't remember, I, I don't know why I can remember those things, but some of the stories in regards to Moses, Joshua, things about the temple that I was taught about the tabernacle as um, the children of Israel journeyed through the wilderness in the book, book of Exodus. So many different little stories, so many different characters. But the one thing I remember about all these people was that there was always a problem. There was always disobedience. There was always ultimately sin that was characterised all these different people along the way and all these stories that we heard. And it came to my understanding that this, this problem of sin it wasn't just a problem back thousands of years ago in the Old Testament and carried through the New Testament some 2,000 years ago. It came to a... For some reason, it was affecting me. And the Bible says, and even as a young person, you know, in primary school, I realised that sin was a problem because there was a consequence, because the Bible says that the wages of sin was death. And that's a problem. Being scared growing up and realising I could potentially at any moment, die, and maybe the consequences of that is that I'd be going to a place which the Bible calls hell. So I had this fear. I had an understanding of, you know, all these things, but it only came to realisation of what could be done about this um, when I started going to these, what we used to have these gospel meetings on a Sunday night um, at the church that I grew up in. Every single, night, single Sunday night, mum and dad would take me and my sister to these gospel meetings and we'd hear there, just as I'm telling you now, about a way out, a way of salvation, a way and a solution to the sin problem. And it was there that I heard about this person, someone who was sinless, who had no sin, who lived a perfect life, he came 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, and we've just come through Christmas and um, all, the, uh, all the festivities of it, but he came and was born in a manger. He was humble. 
He was one who really didn't make a fuss about many things, even as he was growing up, until he turned about 30 and he began his ministry and he told others and he did wonderful miracles, he did wonderful signs. His words were like no one else that had ever come to speak before. They were words that blew away people. His teachings, his parables. But, you know, this person, it wasn't the good things that he did or the good things that he said that made the difference. Because later on in his life, what made the difference was that he was taken, and we read in the Bible that he was taken by wicked hands, cruel hands, and crucified upon a cross. There lifted up upon a Roman cross, and there crucified. Crucified for what reason? He was, he was harmless, he was sinless, but as we've read... He was crucified for our sins, for us to be forgiven of our sins themselves. Taken and then put, it, put in a tomb for three days, three nights, and then gloriously rising again from the dead. And this person, obviously, we're talking about here is the Lord Jesus himself, the very Son of God. And each Sunday night, as I heard about this person, this one who could deal with my sin, you know, it didn't really click until I was probably about eight years old. And I remember it was just before Christmas, uh, a couple of days before, um, yeah, Christmas, and we were always on school holidays. And I remember thinking about this solution to my sin problem. And I realised that, you know, I needed to do something about it. Mum and Dad, I think Dad was at work, Mum was was at home busy doing something, my sister was also in her room doing something, but I realised that there and then, that afternoon, just before Christmas, I had to get alone with God. So even at an age of, uh, and I think I was only eight years old, I actually went into my room, closed the door, got down on my knees, and I can't remember what exactly I said, but I do remember just two things. I told God who I was. I told him that I was a sinner, not because of the things that I did, but because of who I was. I said, God, this is who I am. I'm a sinner and I need help. And the second thing I remember saying was that I know that Jesus, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a saviour, he came to save me and I take him as my Lord and as my saviour. Because he died upon the cross, he was buried. I know he was put in a tomb, but he's alive even right now, there in heaven. You know, that after that moment, you know, I didn't feel anything. Um, I didn't um, have some magical dust go on my head or have any sort of revelation or anything like that. I just went about. But I knew in my heart, God had saved me. God had done something about my sin when I told him and confessed that I was a sinner and I knew that Jesus was my saviour. And that's how I got saved. That's how I came to know Jesus as my Lord and saviour. Just as Paul was writing in Galatians 2 and 20 with his relationship with with Paul and God and and Christ himself, I now had a relationship with the saviour, with the very son of God who came down to this earth to save me. And remember, 
You know, this is my story, but many of us here have different stories, different ways that we've come to Christ, just as the animals came to that door um, that Noah had built in the ark. Each of us had to go to that door, that one door, and that door was Christ. There was only one way, the way, the truth, and the life, as John says that in, sorry, John writes that in John 14. But again, last thing, even with that ark, even with that door, there was that door that all the animals could go into, but you know, there came a day when the door was shut. There came a day when God, and it wasn't Noah, and it wasn't sort of his family that shut the door, it was God, it says in Genesis chapter 6. He closed the door because there's a time coming when it may be too late and maybe there may be a death just as we were talking about death because we're not promised of tomorrow and maybe such that the Lord Jesus himself will come again and he promises us that in the scriptures that he's coming again soon at a time whereby no man knoweth and it may be too late and perhaps you've been thinking about these things perhaps you've questioned well am I really a Christian do I really know God do I really know Christ as my saviour you know, tonight, that would be our plea. That would be my plea. That would be my, my prayer for each one of us here, that we would come to know Christ as, as your Lord and your Saviour. You know, behold, now is the accepted time, it says the Scriptures. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You can trust Him, just as I've trusted Him, just as many of, of uh, the Christians here have trusted Him. Trust Him even today, because He can be your Lord and your Saviour. I'll just close with, with prayer. Our God and Father, we just thank you, Lord, for our time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to sing these hymns and songs of praise, but also we've been able to read from the Bible about what does it truly mean to be a Christian, what it means to be dead to sin, crucified with Christ, to be made alive by the Holy Spirit of God, and also now to live a life of faith, trusting and doing and pleasing God, pleasing what you would say in your word. And Father, also knowing that we can love unconditionally and we can love other people, we can love God, we can love other people, we can love even our enemies because of the love of Christ that dwells within us. Oh, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for our time. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that reveal these things to us. But most of all, we just thank you, Lord, for those of us that are saved that for our salvation, that we can call Jesus as our saviour, but we do pray that if there be any even here tonight, this evening in this hall, that still is outside of Christ, without a saviour, we pray that they may come to know him who is life eternal. Oh, Father, um, just bless our time and bless this week, we pray. Take us away home um, in safety and bless us as we would live and continue to live a life of faith for thyself uh, throughout this week. We thank you, Lord God, again, for all that you give us in his worthy and precious name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.